for the shout out podcast. <laughs> Jay and C Mac yeah. in the house. Dynamic duo. Yeah, man. This is what we do. Yeah. This is what we know. I can punch you out. I can kick you down. But if you this my podcast, you know I will knock you out. Oh, yeah. Elbow to the, to the face. Hammer punch to the head. To the head. Talking all things. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Shout Out Podcast. We are episode number three. Uh, welcome uh, to this podcast, our guest, as we saw on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff, Kiyoshi Mike Bondi from Arashino Martial Arts. Uh, I call him Kiyoshi because he's my senior instructor and, and the senior instructor, at, uh, chief instructor at Arashino Martial Arts. But uh, Mike, thanks for coming and doing this. How are you feeling? Good. Thanks for inviting me, guys. So we're uh, right now, it's Friday, just before August Long weekend, at least where we're filming from. Or uh, Yeah, August Long. Um, you got any plans? Actually, I'm going to take off and maybe go visit the smoke for a few days. It was supposed to be, <laughs> it's supposed to be like 40 degrees plus in BC, but you also can't see 10 feet in front of you. So we'll go check it out and see. We might come back the next day. You never know. No, nobody ever comes back from BC. Sad. That's, that's the best place to be. And where are you going? Uh, we'll start uh, in Invermere, go up to uh, Sycamore Salmon Arm, and then uh, if, we, if it's really smoky, we'll make our way out to the coast because I guess... It's quite clear out there and uh, nice and warm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Shout out to the Okanagan Valley. That's my favorite place to be. Uh, so real quick, let's uh, just go through um, last week in review here. So I know we keep talking about Punch Face Friday. That's our fun little sparring circuit at uh, at my club, uh, Rashido Martial Arts in Calgary here. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to you guys. We had 22 people uh, come to Punch Face Friday, and that's really big. That's huge. It doesn't get too much bigger than that for us. And uh, I really thank everybody for coming. It's 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 my favorite day of the week um, because I get to punch my friends in the face. Nobody gets angry, and uh, we go home laughing usually. Um, so th- thanks everybody, guys, for uh, for coming and doing that, and uh, obviously filming as well. We, we film a couple sparring matches, just trying to get people used to fights and the, that competition anxiety. And uh, it still gets to be in a friendly environment. So so shout out to you guys. Punch Face Friday going down again tonight, or what would be for us Friday at uh, six p.m. in house. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, oh. of, lot of younger kids coming now too, eh? Yeah, so Chris is really trying to push the junior team. And then last week we brought up those WBC World Championships. So I think, you know, coaches like, you know, Chris and Jake and those young guys are obviously going to be, be hungry with their juniors. It gives them an avenue to, to compete, you know. What was the date on that again? Uh, August 2022. Okay, so we got a year to get our ducks in a row. <clears throat> yeah. Which is interesting because you need the, you need a lead time, you know, something like that. Maybe not a year, but... When the when the Olympics got or when the karate got into the Olympics, they they needed a lot of time to get organized, especially because there's so many different types and styles, and, and I assume in Muay Thai as well. I mean, it's a little bit more of a sport, so it doesn't necessarily have the federations getting involved, but I'm sure mm-hmm. there's still some of it. Right, and, and then uh, the rule set you use, and then the perfecting of those rule sets. Well, and... what you wear, and oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, you, you got to have all those things. Uh, you know, all those things have to to be decided and then figured out and then you have to start practicing with them right right it's not you like you can just slap on a chest protector and and go it's going to take some getting used to it right, right? and still making the, the national team like you don't just get to go, hey i'm here for the world championships so. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> sign me up here's my 10 bucks <laughs> um obviously you were gone uh for the last week doing some farming i know nothing about farming what what uh i know your parents have a farm and obviously that's where you grew up on but uh what, what were you doing 
Uh, well, my dad's still very much involved, even though he's getting up there, and he wants to just keep going and enjoying. He enjoys playing with his cows and, <laughs> and making hay, so that's what we do. We make a, we've got about half a section up in Rocky Mountain House, and we, I go up there and help him. My brothers come usually, and we make several thousand bales. I know nothing about farming. What's half a section? Uh, two quarters, which is a, a quarters, one hundred and sixty acres. So three hundred and twenty oh. acres, which that's pretty big. It's, it's fair size. Yeah. yeah, there's some farms that are you know much much bigger than that, but for for a independent person just doing his own thing, that's that's decent size, all right. Yeah, my my wife's family. I told you that because again, I know nothing about this in Saskatchewan. I, did I say twelve sections? Yeah, right? when you 12? told me that, I was like, oh, <laughs> like hey, is that all of Canada? I I don't know. <laughs> serious. Well, Canada's an awfully big place, yeah, but yeah, big. I mean. Uh, when you're talking about farming sections of land, you have to have multiple machines running at the same time. You got that's a big, big operation. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like it, and like machines I've never seen before. Like, sure. you think you'd seen Fort McMurray kind of thing? Well, and and a lot of those machines are quarter million bucks each, <laughs> right? Don't break it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> break it, you buy it. Uh, okay, well, uh, let's move on to some fight talk. Uh, the big fight, obviously, we were looking forward to was the main event of the one uh, one championship, one FC battleground in Singapore. Happened in Alberta at about 8.30 in the morning. It's still on YouTube. You can watch it now. That's uh, 1FC Battleground. And the main event was Sam A. Gayangadao versus Prajinchai PK Sanchai Moi Tai Jim. Uh, I know that you caught a little bit of this. Uh, what, what were your thoughts, I guess, initially between these two fighters? Uh, well, you could just see the experience level. Eh? They walk in. The, well, so one of the things that was striking right away, I thought, was I wonder how much the change of venue affected them. Because that... A, it's in the cage, not a ring. It's round, not square, so you can't get a guy in a corner and hold him there. Right. And it was big. That at least had to be at least thirty feet across. Like yeah, it's huge. The the uh, Prajinjai. Yeah. He he was m- so mobile in the first few rounds that it, it seemed like Sammy could not pin him down. He'd get one big shot and then he'd be gone. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that that might have played into it a little bit. Yeah, he was good at circling really really well. Uh. So, uh, if you remember from last week, if you listen to the podcast, I chose uh, Prajin Shai. I just thought Sammy was getting a little uh, a little older, and and you know what happens. I mean, you're, you you age in dog years when it comes to your fight years. Um, and these guys also come in a record. So, Sam A, who was the champ, comes in with a record of three hundred and seventy forty seven and nine versus three thirty eight fifty one and seven. That is a lot of back and forth damage on the body. It's got to catch up to you <laughs> I sometime. Was, I was thinking about that on the way over. It's like. Seven or eight hundred fights between them. I was oh. like, I, I might have done seven or eight hundred push-ups in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I forget about fights fight. and the training and all that. Um, so my prediction was Prajin Chai was going to win. Now, if I just stated that prediction like I did, if you heard the podcast, then uh, I'm a genius. But the reality is, I kept switching back and forth on my prediction right up until the fight. Here's the problem: if so, for those who haven't seen Sam A, if you just put Sam A Muay Thai in YouTube. This is the fastest Muay Thai man you've ever seen. He looks like he's going literally one and a half times faster than normal. Like, it's, it's freaky to watch. So every time you see this guy hit pads, I'm like, oh, oh he's got to win. But, and the other thing, the other reason I chose him is, is uh, PK Sanchai Muay Thai Gym is in Bangkok. And they're going through this COVID thing over it. Like, they keep shut down, open, shut down, open. And uh, Sammy trains at Evolve MMA in Singapore. And I, as far as I know, they're pretty much open yeah, they didn't really close down. They didn't lock down on her at all, I don't think. Right. So, so sorry. So, to be honest, that, that's why I ended up switching to Sammy. I thought maybe that training camp would uh, uh, would play a difference of having to be shut down. I don't know how it works really in Thailand. But uh, 
uh, boy, the, the former Lumpini Rajademnarn champion there, uh, Prejinchai, looked awesome. He did. He was so mobile, so fast. And I, and I, did a, I, I was doing a little informal count, and he was, he was sort of three to one. Yeah. And maybe the shots weren't as big or as punishing, but Sammy was looking to load up that big left kick and yeah. kick him in the face. And I mean, he got clipped him a couple times, but I mean, he, he was just for the first three rounds, anyways. He was he was being outworked. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. He definitely changed. They they think maybe that Prajnanshai hurt his hand around somewhere around four. Maybe he kind of stopped throwing that left hook. But. I wondered about that too because um, I wondered how much that played into it. Is that the first time they've ever fought with those? Little four ounce gloves. I think maybe Prajin Chai, not Sammy. Okay, because it's a real difference. Like even I've trained with those a few times. Even hitting the bag, like it's you hard end on up the bones. Your hand yeah. a lot. Like they're really, really small, and they spread your knuckles apart because your fingers are are separated, right? Right. So I wonder if he if he uh, yeah because he definitely stopped using his left hook. Yeah, and that was a pretty good weapon for him in the first. Like he was a definitely a better boxer. Right. Right, and funny enough, they were saying on the broadcast, I didn't know this, but he, he spent, uh, I think it was 18 or 16 months straight boxing. Straight boxing. Okay, well, that makes sense. Tried out for the national Thai team. Like, like yeah, how often do you see Thai fighters throw triple jabs? Yeah, no, he would, <laughs> when when he threw his punches, it was twos and threes and fours, and, yeah. and Sammy had no answer. And in fact, I watched that one point there, and I was thinking, how, are, how many shots is he getting per one big left round kick? Right. And the other thing that struck me is he used... A, a really big variety of weapons. Like he clinched a little, he got a few elbows in, he he outboxed them clearly. Uh, a bunch more teeps, did a, did a few roundhouse kicks, you know, normal amount of cut kicks, uh, but also some knees. Like he, he right. did many, many different types of techniques, whereas Sammy was content to throw a punch now and then and just wail that big kick in. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, I would not want to be hit <laughs> by that. Yeah, yeah, and left but, elbow, and sharp left elbow too. Um but but I, I I definitely feel you know Sammy is 37 years old, and Father Time's undefeated. Yeah. And and people are asking the question, where does Sammy go? Who does he fight? And I don't I I don't I don't know. Like that that's a weird question because I sort of feel like the young lions are now it's they're starting to pile up and sure. and it's not going to get easier. Um, I'd still love to see him fight, but I, I got to be honest. Uh, I I see that he travels away from his family in Thailand. He's a family man, and a lot of them are. I, I don't, you don't say retire just because you, you lost your world title fight, but it's a lot of fights, and, and uh, you know. No, to be honest, I hope I just hope he made enough money that he can just gracefully exit. It's it's a shame when you watch someone who's clearly over the hill and 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 you wonder, is this going to be a, a beatdown? I think you guys were talking about it last week, too, about uh, uh, the boxer who's going to throw in one more fight. Who am I thinking of? Um, Filipino uh, Manny Pacquiao yeah Pacquiao yep. so the question is does he come back and have an awesome show and go out on a nice nice little ride right. or does he just get the crap beat out of him <laughs> right. and everybody just kind of feels bad right well as long as you stay in there that, that's going to happen oh. you know right um, so uh, so shout out so Prajanchai wins that wins that fight uh, five round decision both these guys are former Lumpini Rajadhanarn Stadium champions sport authority fighters of the year and in Thailand that's a big deal the, these two stadiums Lumpini Stadium, Rajadamnarn Stadium, for those who don't know, um, to, to, to become a stadium champion, A, to, to, to be a Thai stadium champion is huge. To be a non-Thai stadium champion is almost unheard of. So in most Muay Thai enthusiast opinions, the Lumpini and Rajadamnarn Stadium championships are worth 10 times more than a world title. 
Um, and these these gentlemen and, and Sam, I mean, you know, the king of Lumpini for a long time. So uh, if you if you haven't seen that fight, guys, please go check uh, check it out. It's a fantastic fight against two proper top. Uh, I mean, eight hundred fights. I mean, you never see that in Muay Thai. So please uh, please check that out. That being yeah. said, if there was two more rounds, I think Sam would have won that because he was coming back. Yeah, he, he and actually it, they I was listening. It was a majority decision. Yeah. So one guy, one ref had it as a tie, which seems insane to me. Well, unless uh, it's tie scoring. High scoring, um, first round, 10-8. Yeah. Second round, if you give it to Sam A, which is possible. Uh, okay. I and then, <laughs> you know, and then... Um, uh, Prajan Chai? Prajan Chai gets third. Yeah. So that's three points for him. Yeah. And then and Sam A takes the last two. I could see that being a tie. That being said, I didn't score it that way, but right. I could see why they would come up with a tie. So one ref called it a draw. And two others called to it. Chai. Yeah. Under tie scoring, you could almost see that. Uh, you know, it's always who finishes the round, and sometimes they don't even score the first two rounds. You know, mm. so so you know if you're gonna do, I, I don't think they do tie style scoring, but but um, either way, great great fight. Go go watch it. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with these guys, uh, as I wasn't very heavily, you know, Kujay told me the names, spelled them for me. So go go look these up on YouTube and, and familiarize yourself a little bit because once you see some of their highlights and see what they're doing, you can watch highlight reels on these guys and it's just it's so cool to watch them work the pads and yeah. and obviously some of their greatest fights, right? Then you get to know these people, you get to have a a sense of what they're what they're gonna do and and you really get a chance to appreciate the fight a lot more rather than just two guys you don't know. Right, and then following somebody who knows that becomes your favorite fighter. That's who you emulate, and that's how the that's how it starts. Right? Yeah. Um, okay, real quick, let's talk about a couple upcoming events. We've touched on them real quick. Um, August seventh, uh, Triumphant Muay Thai heading back to Rosarito, Mexico. Uh, the main event, Alex Buble, I assume, uh, maybe Bubbly, but I assume it's Buble, hmm. out of Romania. The Body Hammer, what a sweet nickname, fighting Eddie, even a better nickname, Eddie. Silky Smooth Abisolo from from the U.S. So, um, in my opinion, it's it's um, sort of like the mongoose versus the snake. One, one guy's a hammer, and the other guy's sort of you know the bumblebee who's gonna uh, uh, be pretty slick. So, these guys are fighting for the 158 uh, WMC Intercontinental International title and uh, Triumphant World title. And these guys have put on a good fight card. Uh, Alex Buble is from Romania. And I see him a lot, again, at a PK Sanchai. I see him training there. So he's training along guys like Prajan Chai mm. uh, and some big names some out of there. Names. Yeah. Um, and Sit Jaupo Muay Thai, which, which really became not famous overnight, but at least online almost, just because they're beautiful pad work and they're beautiful Muay Thai, as, as they should. So and where are they out of? Both out of, out of Thailand. Bangkok. Uh, I don't know about Sit Jaupo, but uh, uh, I do know that PK Sanchai Muay Thai gym is out of Bangkok. So this guy's training a lot, at least online, in Thailand. Okay, so let me ask you a question of a, of a, of a more of a lay person because I'm not super up on the on the Thai world. Yeah, where are the major training centers? Obviously, yeah, yeah, Bangkok's Bangkok. That's the biggest. Like sure. if if you're looking to to be the 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 biggest Muay Thai guys, you're, you're going to go to Bangkok. But you know, there's a lot of places like Phuket um, who are now starting to have some stadium champions and that aren't even Thai, like Brazilians. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really starting to make a name for themselves. Phuket Fight Club, I think. Because uh, they do MMA there as well, right? The jiu-jitsu as well. Yeah, so yeah. That's why some Brazilians ended up there. Yeah, yeah. Very, really popular area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like like northern Thailand, obviously, um, things like Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai is starting to become really popular. Um, and you're starting to see a lot of people come out of there and travel there and fight there as well and train there. Um, 
but yeah, if you're if you're looking to really further your career and really make a big name and fight in those two stadiums, uh, Lumpini and Rajadamnarn and, and Channel Seven and Omnoy, these big stadiums, uh, you're going to Bangkok. Mm, okay. And what about uh, where our group goes? Uh, Koh Samoy. It's usually seen as more of a laid back uh, tourist destination sort of thing. Yeah, mm. and good. You know, yeah. good. That's what I want. I, I don't I don't want to be in a giant dirty big city. But but like anything else, I mean. It doesn't mean you can't go to Koh Samoy and absolutely train your ass off and get big fights and do that. I mean, it can certainly happen Well, Tom, Tom made a name for himself sure did. there, eh? Yeah. yeah, fought Yachtson, Clyde Fairtex, and, yeah. you know, on the contender and all Cosmo. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, for Kings. my 45th birthday, my little brother phoned me up and said, uh, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I know it's your birthday. I said, oh, not much. Just kind of hanging out. <laughs> he goes, you want to go to Bangkok? I'm like, what, what do you like mean? Like the restaurant? He goes, he goes, for the weekend, we'll go to Bangkok. <laughs> The uh, World Cup or the doesn't, King's Cup is on. It doesn't take a weekend to get there. <laughs> so we packed up, like literally, like a, a shirt and some sandals and a little ha! bag. And we landed in Bangkok, found our hotel. We stayed where all the fighters were staying because uh, he knows a ton of them, right? right. All the Australians were there and right. a bunch of Kiwis. Anyways, we uh, and we went and sat and sat for two days at the King's Cup, which was unbelievable. And... Uh, Unbelievable fighting, unbelievable. Just atmosphere, just I bet. Crazy right? atmosphere. This is like over 100,000 people there, right? Yeah, the Samanich brothers were there. We hung out with them, had some Shout out to those chaps. Laughs. Shout out to those boys and shout out to all the Aussies and the uh, and, uh, Hammer team from, uh, where is he from? Is Australia. From? Yeah, it is. It's Sydney. I can't remember Couldn't tell you. where he is. But anyways, th- he puts on a good show down there too. Anyways, lots mm-hmm. of fun. And then uh, literally Monday morning, we flew back and uh, carried on with life maybe had a, quick, a few naps in there but that was a pretty wild uh wild weekend dang um were you anywhere near the ring did you get to see oh yeah we were maybe 10 rows back no way. we got there at about seven in the morning so the king's cup is a massive um celebration it's not just muay thai there's right it was in a uh, in a football field that was like imagine 10 football fields to celebrate the king's birthday right Right. and the king was born on the same day as me so it was was, that's why it was my birthday too but anyways uh there's like there's juggling there's performance there's sports there's all sorts of things going on at the same time and muay thai so there was tons of room the only disadvantage is if you left your chair you it was lost gone. your chair. <laughs> oh, and we no. we had to stay there all day. And uh, let me tell you, I the nearest pee. bathroom was not close. Oh, so we sucks. had to take turns running however many blocks away to go to the bathroom and then come back and, and uh, hoarding our chairs. So really? Blocks? Losing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We ran a long oh, ways to go sucks. to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, you'd plan that out in advance. But anyways, uh, we watched some throughout the day, some sort of preliminary ones and whatever. And then the big guys came on. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Tom had a really tough fight. He really, him and this other guy just cracked each other until their legs were just mush. And then six minutes later, they said, okay, you won. Good job. Now you're fighting Cosmo. Oh. And he just went, uh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> you don't want to fight Cosmo on your best day and his worst. Yeah. And so he he won. He took it. And he took the whole King's Cup. That was yeah. but quite an experience. Yeah. Shout out to my little brother for taking me on shout quite out to the crew Chris. Uh, Bangkok adventure. Yeah. There yeah. was uh, a... <laughs> There were some pictures in there that had to be deleted, so yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, that's how you know it was a good trip. <laughs> there you go. And shout out to Cosmo Alexander, one of the, the baddest uh, non-Thai Thai boxers to ever do it. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, oh, sorry, and real quick, I, I did mention, uh, uh, sorry, one more upcoming event. Um, I believe that's August 8th, so the next day after the Triumph at Muay Thai Fight Card uh, is Yokao 49 and 50. Uh, out of the Bolton Arena in UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not familiar with too many names, except obviously... Uh, 
uh, Liam Nolan, um, who's a UK champ, world champ, making uh, uh, he's obviously very popular online for good reasons. A, a great technique, very good Muay Thai. Um, you know, he aw- seems like a really awesome dude. Trains at a really cool camp, Nolsey Academy in London. Um, he's going to be fighting. I'm not sure if it's for a title. I think maybe a number one spot in the UK. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But uh, uh, he's a fun guy to watch. Excellent technician. So, Yokal 49.50, August 8th. So, look up, these, uh, look up some of these events and pick your favorite fighter. Look them up on YouTube, watch their highlight reel, and then, then you got someone who you can cheer them on, right? As someone who's been doing this almost 30 years, I can tell you that uh, uh, Liam Nolan is definitely somebody you should, you should watch and, and, and really uh, study. His technique is ph- uh, phenomenal. Uh, okay, uh, here's get to the, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this thing. We are here with the chief instructor of Rochino Martial Arts, Kyoshi Mike. Uh, when Chris told me he couldn't come today, I was, I was super stoked to ask you because for this reason alone, do you remember when I fought in Brandon, Manitoba? Yes. If you ask Chris McMillan, he's going to say the same thing. What were one of your favorite fights? Let's say if I told him in Canada, he would say Brandon, even though he didn't fight because we got to listen to martial arts history the whole way home from you <laughs> it was awesome like there was a lot of cool stuff that as as someone who someone must have given me a coffee because then i'll never shut <laughs> up <laughs> you no know, joke um as somebody who who came up watching you guys fight and 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 uh on the tournament scene and teach and open these schools and and push um just just things that happen around here made things happen uh it was really cool to fit all those pieces together mm. um so i i really was excited to bring you on the podcast today to let everybody else in on this cool same trip that I got to go on. <laughs> so let's start really from the very beginning, the the who, what, where, when, why, how did martial arts become part of your life? Where did it start? Well, I don't actually remember drawing a direct correlation, but the fact of the matter is uh, I was 15 years old when the Karate Kid came out. So, I mean, me and Daniel-san were the same age, and we were mm. kind of going through some of the same stuff in life, right? Uh, hoping to be able to drive soon, trying to get a license, Girls. trying to meet a girl, you know, right. stuff like that. So I, I think there was some very hmm. distinct uh, possibility that he was involved. However, um, the biggest reason that I got involved was my friend Dustin, who I hung out with lots. Uh, he was doing it already. I think he was a green belt already. And he introduced me to Craig, who was also there, the main uh, mainstay. And this was right after... Um, one instructor had left, and uh, my main instructor joined us, which was, his name is Mark Burzak, and he grew up in Sylvan Lake, I believe, and uh, so he lived there for years and years, and so he decided he would teach out in Rocky and take over and carry on. He taught in Sylvan, I think, and Caroline, as well as Red Deer, so he kind of did the driving around the circle of central Alberta like, like uh, me and my brother and Gary did as well. So that's kind of how it got started. I was uh, just turned 15 when when I got in. So later than some of the guys, you know, like we teach kids now and they're four years old. And some of those kids are still with us. Well, like Ty, you were talking about last yep, weekend, right? Devin. Four years old, Devin, all the way till they're adults now. And I mean, what an advantage. Yeah. Um, you know. It's weird to see Ty drive up. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, he was just a kid a few, from our point of view, a few weeks ago and a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. His mom had to drop him off, and it's okay, Ty. You're doing good, buddy. You know, yeah. You're driving, teaching classes on your own. So, right. looks like you get another shout out there, Ty. Well done. Um, and so, what what kept you going? Because something I learned from you and, and from Arashido in general um, is beyond the punch and the kick. You know, you kind of hit a, a few levels in martial arts where a lot of people quit. Right. So, 
There's plateaus for sure. Yeah, um, for whatever many reasons, but we seem to find them to be very common. But what pushed you? So what would you say is that first plateau? Yellow belt, orange belt? Orange. Orange. That's where we lose so many people. Right. So what pushed, what kept you going past that plateau? Yeah, it's a good question. I I don't know. I've, I've thought about it a lot over the years. And, and it's interesting because realistically, Mark taught for a long time. Well, at least in my brain, it was a long time, but maybe it wasn't because I was young, right? But he taught for quite a few years anyways, and he taught in several different locations. And as far as I know, only five people ever got their black belt with him. So not a lot of people stuck with it. Now, was that because he was a hard-ass trainer? Probably. Uh, but, you know, is there? there's also that attrition. So Orange Belt is a tough one because you've been in it long enough to the where the shine has come off a little bit. You know, when you first start, it's fun, it's exciting, you're jumping and kicking and everybody's calling you a ninja at school and stuff right. yeah it's good and then somewhere you get your yellow wow i'm so awesome at this and then you work really hard and you get your orange and you go oh crap there's a long ways to go to black right and uh you know you know maybe uh maybe i did what i needed to do here i'm just i gonna, can front kick i'm just gonna head on over to the badminton court and start something else. yeah well it's common oh yeah for sure it's common i think that we've we've addressed it a lot recognized in how we teach classes and how we try to progress people to try to bridge that gap, but it's still one of our, our toughest belts, I would say. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you were saying that uh, Sensei Mark, you know, was a bit of a hard ass. What, what was a, what was a typical, maybe not a typical, but what's a, I don't want to say overly tough because everybody's had those classes where you're like, oh no, this one's going to suck. And they do. But what would you say was a decently hard class at orange belt level for you like what 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 kind of things because you know i mean obviously nowadays you know if you even touch a kid we're in trouble it seems oh, like yeah. no we, we did uh, a ton of uh i guess you'd call it military style classes um, so they were small <laughs> well they started out big and they were small so we did 10 week courses in rocky so you didn't oh. do you didn't have an ongoing thing you did every oh. 10 weeks you'd start up again take a couple weeks off whatever so you'd get a, a quite a big group what? in the first t uh, session sorry what what's the point of that it was because it was a uh run by the town it wasn't it wasn't oh, a business or anything it was a just a run it was a sports what do you call it like, like swimming or whatever unit kind of yeah you're, it's a unit kind of thing throughout through the town oh. and so they would just advertise every four months or three months or whatever oh, okay and then you'd do it for two and a half months and then it'd be a little break and then they'd do another one because they collected their monies up front their fees up front and paid for it so you're you're basically hoping that the same people keep coming back you just hope yeah oh. but usually there's a ton of new people <laughs> and there's maybe well that's what i mean there's only a, a, a handful that actually come back i guess so right. there's not that many people progressing to the next belt i see you know what i mean it's kind of a start over thing over and over and over again hmm. which you know can be frustrating as a coach because you don't feel like you're you don't feel like you're flexing your biggest muscles All right no your other foot no your other hand yeah you're yeah. saying the same thing over and over again and usually it's pretty basic stuff yeah right? yeah um sorry what were you asking about mark again oh military style it's he would so lots of times it was you know like what we do now is you know find a spot stand in your line okay horse stance left stance punch kick right this that the other um but on it on the days that stick out in my brain it was okay everybody to one wall and did, did you, just out of curiosity, did you know right away? Because I always did oh, when God, you yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> just, just by the tone, you're like, oh, it's going to be one of these oh, days. Oh, <laughs> no. One of those days. Uh, yeah, you go to one wall and it was, okay, start with front kicks. Front kick, 
one across the room, one leg, then the other leg, then the other leg, just till you got to the other side of the room. Okay, 10 push-ups. Then stand up and kick all the way back, Oof. 10 push-ups. Now it's Rondo's kicks. Yeah. Rondo's kick across, 10 push-ups. And right. so, you know, th- that, would, that was okay for a while. And then about a half an hour in, you're like, oh, I see. We're not going to stop this. This isn't right. the warm-up, I see. <laughs> um, later on, we were when we were training hard for tournaments and stuff, he started what we, what we, what did he call it? He didn't call it fight class, but something again on Friday night, same sort of thing. Cause, uh, by then we were all, we were all older. We could drive. So we all drove into Red Deer and, um, that's where well, I met Gary before that, but that's where we really got to know each other and, uh, Kim and the people who were in Red, from Red Deer. And we would meet up on Friday night, Dustin and I and Craig Januszewski and, uh, we'd meet up on Friday at about six and we'd train for two hours and then we'd go out party and right. Kind of right how old were you about this uh 18 19 okay so prime partying years oh yeah so uh but those were classes were they they could get brutal because we started with uh face it face partner jab cross at your partner don't hit him just jab cross at him yeah. 25 push-ups okay stand up round those kick at your partner 25 <laughs> like a oh yeah oh. a kick then 25 <laughs> push-ups so we did that till we hit about 200 at Pretty one buff. point our goal was to do a thousand uh, push up, push ups and setups. Oh my! Like five hundred push ups, five hundred sit ups, and then whatever amount of techniques yeah. you threw in there. So we were in pretty damn sure. good shape. Ten kicks, forty punches, and a thousand push ups. That's right. <laughs> so those are kind of memories that stick out. You yeah. have to get uh, Kyoshi Gary one day into the podcast because he'll tell you some stories. But the one that I liked the best was it was sparring day, and you could tell Mark had, had something hadn't gone right in his day because it was. All right, guys. Usually it was all right, guys. Let's uh, let's get our sparring gear. Let's have some fun. It was that day. It was walked in. Get your gloves. Oh, oh no. crap! <laughs> so Gary said they were practicing kickboxing. He said he got hit so many times in the head that he went home on the wrong bus, and he didn't realize he was in. <laughs> he didn't realize he was on the wrong bus until he, re, you know, sort of looked around and went, "I don't know any of these houses." <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> had to phone his dad to come and pick him up. Oh, from I got punched side. in the head. Anyways, he tells a better story. <laughs> Um, my funny, my funny story about Mark Berzek, Sensei Mark, the the only time I ever sparred him, the one and only time, and I, and it didn't hurt at all. But I've just heard all these stories, and uh, you know, he came into the gym to train, and you invited me, and I was like, oh man, what's gonna happen here? And of course, I any anyone like that, any any martial artist is gonna take that as a test. I have to look good. I got to be in my A game, whether I do or don't. I don't know. What belt were you at this point? Old black. Oh, okay. You know, um, uh, second degree maybe, mm. but you just were. That's just how it is. If, if your instructor's instructor's there, you better be, bring your A game, right. you know. And uh, we get there, and I just I hear I hear all these funny stories of him sparring and you know getting roughed up, and which is normal. That's just how it was. But it's just funny how uh, he's like, "What, what do you want to do? Should we stretch?" And this this was you trying to get, kind of get going in some training. He goes, "No, no, I'm just here to spar." And I was like, "Oh God, no! Oh no!" Like just that sentence of like, "No, I don't really want to like warm up or anything. I'm just here to fight." <laughs> I, I I had butterflies in my stomach. And I went to go get my gear, and, and I remember you looked at me and went, just don't get hit. And I remember trying to put on my gloves, and I couldn't. They're, I'm fumbling them like crazy. <laughs> and you know what? Nothing happened. It was oh, great. Oh, that's excellent. But that's one of the most times I was ever scared sparring. <laughs> the, uh, and, I mean, he, he mellowed as he got older, of course. And he right. was, uh, but, I mean, he was a perfectionist, right? Mm-hmm. So he would go in, and, and he would set up the heavy bag, <laughs> and he'd put a piece of tape, you know, just one little slip of tape on it, and he would round us, kick that, and he wouldn't let himself quit until he could hit the, the tape and make it dent where the tape was uh, 10 times in a row or 100 wow. times in a row or whatever the number was that he chose for that day. And he would just stand there and do roundhouse kicks until 
and he didn't stop, right? I mean, I I was going to say until something happened, but nothing ever happened because right. he just did him till till he got it right. Wow! And that's that was his mentality, and you know, so when he was preparing for, he was karate sort of a karate champ around around Alberta, and then he decided to get into kickboxing, and that's where it really changed. He really changed gears. Yeah, if, if if you're doing that kind of training, you better be competitive fighting because that's what competitive fighters do and are supposed to do. And even then, some don't or a lot don't. But wow, that's uh, that's impressive. Um, so you dropped the name Kyoshi Gary, um, and obviously he's the other chief instructor of a, one of the other uh, chief instructors of Rochelle Martial Arts. Um, how, where where did you and Kyoshi Gary sort of come together? And 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 I guess where did Arashido start? How did this happen? Obviously, obviously, you started training together, like you mentioned there. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, w- I was thinking about that the other day because um, I knew you were going to ask me about that. <laughs> um, the first time I ever met Gary Kyoshi, Gary was, uh, I think we had gone to a tournament in Camrose. Although I must have met him before that, but just didn't, you know, didn't know him because my first, my very first tournament ever was uh, the 1986. Western Canadian Karate Championships in Red Deer. At that time, uh, Sensei Lyalcini had, shout out to Sensei Lyalcini, had yeah. just taken over. Uh, the other fellow who was running, he went off on an extended holiday. And uh, so he would, he... Uh, was this, a, so a separate gym, sorry? No. Oh, okay, okay. Took sorry. over. Okay, but I yeah, mean, yeah. that was the tournament. And then, and so, but at, back then it was a two-day tournament. The first day was point sparring. And the second day was continuous... Um, Still supposed to be point sparring, but it wasn't really. It was uh, it was kickboxing with uh, foam gloves in '86. Yeah. Wow. And I don't I don't think they did it. I think that might have been the last year, maybe one more year, where they did two day tournament. Two day tournament was fun because everybody stayed overnight, and then you did it all again the next (laughs) day, uh, which was pretty interesting and pretty fun. But I was only. Like I said, I was only 15 or 16 then, so I didn't get too wild. But that was the first tournament I ever won uh, or ever went to, and I got second. No, I got third on the first day and second on the second day. Nice. So I was I was pretty pumped. I yeah. was like, oh, okay, maybe this is something I'm good at. Right. And then shortly after that, we went to a tournament in Camrose, uh, who was run by a man named Scott Copperud, who was now talk about a, a sort of a legend of Alberta. He was a, a Taekwondo guy. Hmm. He could one of the I, Imagine a guy, I can't, I can't remember how tall he was. Not super tall. Like is he maybe, still around? I think he lives in Saskatchewan or Manitoba now, but oh, yeah. um, maybe six feet, maybe not even that, 5'10", something like that. And not, you know, it's a guy you saw, saw on the street. You wouldn't say, oh, that's a supreme athlete. Just, mm-hmm. he wasn't fat or anything, but sure. I mean, he was regular just dude. a regular guy. And then he would put his foot up and he would go bang. And then bang, 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 bang. And it was like. Oh crap! It's not a regular okay, dude. You do not want to put. You do not want to be near that person. When I remember the story, Mark told me of him. He had to fight him in a tournament once, and uh, he and he the foot came up and just boom, boom, boom. He said he lost three points in the first. I don't know five, ten seconds, whatever it was like. Oh no! Okay, bow to your judge and bang. Whoa! What the hell was that? And then bang again. It was like okay. And he said, "I just turned on kickboxing mode at that point and kicked him as hard as I possibly could yeah. in the body because I had to slow him down. Like that leg wow, hey? was so fast and so impressive. Wow. Uh, yeah. So he was. That was cool to kind of meet and see a, you know, sort of a, a like you say, a legend of of when I was a kid. Right. Right. And, uh, He's probably not that much older than me because everyone seems old when you're 15 years old. Yeah. But in reality, Mark's probably only five or six year older than, years older than me. And so probably Scott's probably the same, right? right. He's probably not much older than That's me. Right. But 
in the grand scheme of things. Right. So I met Gary and on that one, and then we didn't really do too much, you know, hung out a bit. And then we went, came home and we stopped at a bar, which none of us were supposed to go to, of course, uh, <laughs> and uh, went in and that's where we kind of got to know each other. And I was driving my, I must've been 16 cause I was driving my Mustang and uh, everyone nice. was pretty impressed. I had a 67 Mustang when I was nice. a kid. Dang. So yeah, it was a, that was a cool car. It was one of those That's cars where which one, where, what car would you, do you regret selling? And right. that was it. <laughs> I bet. So, so obviously this came from, uh, um, obviously buddies training together, s- similar interests. Um, where did the name, where did the actual Arashido name come from? What, what, what happened? Where did that start? <laughs> Funny. Okay. So the, the name of the club used to be called Rocky Martial Arts that was it. it was Rocky Martial Rocky Arts. Martial Arts. All right. Because Mark was not a big fan of like, he's not a big self-promoter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Burzak's awesome karate school kind of thing. Right. He's just like, no, everybody's a team. Nobody gets to, you know, whatever. Hmm. So he, when he retired, he wanted to go back to university and, and uh, get his degree. So Gary and I took over the school. I think I was a brown belt at the time. In Rocky Mountain House. This was Rocky and... We took over all the little ones, Rocky, Caroline, Sylvan, although we didn't end up keeping those going right away. We, we kind of let them go because we just, we didn't know what we were doing, right? Sure, we were sure. running around. You were, how, what, how old again did you say? I would have been 18 at that point. Yeah, I mean, geez. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I was only a brown belt. Gary was a black belt. He was black belt a year before me. Um, and we, so we took over when he wanted to retire, retire as a, you know, silly word because yeah. he was he's probably only 23 years old right, right. he just wanted to go Peace to school and yeah. and i'm sure he wasn't making any great amount of money teaching karate so you guys want to do this okay it's yours yeah. see you later done kicking tape <laughs> yeah so uh so anyways we we kept rocky going and we started a little club in innisfail and we you know we tried to t- take our hand at how it was going to be so at that point i was done high school or at least i was uh not going to go anymore right, about right. that yeah. <laughs> and uh and uh so i moved to red deer and his dad gary's dad ran a uh, uh insulation company that worked out at a uh well if you know where novacore is out by where uh oh by red deer anyways okay. it's a massive oil oil and gas site that's just massive it's as big as a small town like it's oh yeah you, when you go to fix something you drive a car it's that big is that you right don't walk to it it's too big right? oh wow so anyways he so we went out there and worked during the day and then we taught karate at night oh. and we moved into a uh, just a, a hell hole it's actually a, was an awesome place for us because it didn't matter if you broke anything right. it was a little townhouse and it cost <laughs> 125 dollars each Per, right. for rent so there that was go. about the right amount yeah no kidding yeah <laughs> so I've anyways and we moved there. in we put a a heavy bag in the basement and just started pounding on that thing <laughs> and then we we'd train and our buddy al lived with us who went to red Deer college and he trained with us we pretty much train every night or we teach every night or both right right yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how it all started and uh oh sorry the actual name yeah so one day we were sitting and mark had said okay so i'm retiring I, i'm you guys do what you want so we wanted to give it a name that was uh, sort of japanese in style but that wasn't like mike and gary's karate or something right, right? um so we we literally got out the japanese dictionary 
and the translations back and forth. We said, right. okay, well, what do we want it to be like? Well, we want it to be, you know, we want to show power and we want to show like a force of nature and this and that and the other. And so Arashido means way of the storm, right? Yep. So we looked up all these different things and and uh, finally came to the word storm, which was Rashi. And we're like, okay, that's pretty cool. And for the first many days, we couldn't say it right. Like, right. We couldn't say it right either. Like, yeah, like nobody else does. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's okay. And then, uh, yeah, so we, we mulled it around for a couple days, pa- you know, passed it around to all the people we knew. And everyone said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And so and there it is. that was it. Put a stamp on it and Off started it. making stickers. <laughs> there you go. So uh, at what point? Like I was, I was an outside martial artist. I wasn't always with Arashido, but I, I always noticed things. Just the team and the, you guys had printing on your uniforms before everybody else. Right. You did the trick competition before everybody else. You had different uniforms. Like I noticed this, but as a kid, that you guys were consistently sort of Arashido was setting a standard. They were the more professional looking. They were they had the cheers. Like they, how. How did you guys come up with that kind of a path? Like, I don't even know if I'm asking the right question. Like, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying though. A lot, some of it can definitely be attributed to my little brother, Chris. He's, um, he's very, uh, team driven and very much wanted us to be part of that. Like he was young at that point, but it's still, he wanted that to be. And then, and then I think the other thing that we always attributed is that we were a collective. We weren't so many people go out on their own. Right. They yeah. break away from their instructor or they like everybody, like pretty, pretty much. much everybody. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. there was almost nobody. That, and we still get people today asking us like, you guys are still together doing this stuff. Like, how are you still friends right. after 30 <laughs> years? Right. I don't even talk to family. <laughs> you don't, yeah, I don't even talk to my family that long. Yeah. The, uh, so it was always a bounce back and forth because you can go down a rabbit hole pretty quick if you're just a guy who comes up with a good idea one night. And, yeah, we're going to have red geese. Oh, and then we'll have blue pants and we'll have green sleeves because red, green, blue, that is that, you know, you by can... The, by the way, the, the red, green, um, the, the red pants, blue top or whatever was real. That really happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was quite a few. And, and But I mean, you can start to believe your own, your own sort of hype, if you will. And, uh, if you're, if you're just, if you're someone out there with no checks and balances to go, Hey, you know, that's a great idea, but why don't we just, instead of the red go with black and instead of the blue also go with black. (laughs) And then instead of the green, let's stick with black. Oh, great (laughs) idea. idea. (laughs) You know, you know, we were always at checks and balances and it's worked really great because we were, you know, slightly different personalities and and uh, we could bounce off each other and if there's any if there was anything missing in the martial arts scene in the 80s and 90s my god it was checks and balances (laughs) yeah yeah people were going all over the place eh? yeah yes so you just mentioned your little brother who i kiyoshi chris um so and and uh he's a a three four uh sorry a third part of the black belt certification being number four would be uh professor mike yaklik so these guys have not different roles than you and Kiyoshi Gary, but a little bit. So I'm just curious if, if you can maybe let us know, um, I guess, how Crew Chris, or Kiyoshi Chris, uh, came into the mix as well as Professor Mike and and how they're known as crew and professor. Right. Um, so when I started teaching in 88, Chris would have been 13, 13 or 14 years old. And he wanted to get involved and he took classes with Mark and Rocky as well, because at that point I had gone uh, or wasn't going yet. 
and uh, <clears throat> and we trained. You know, whenever I was at home, we would train in the basement. I remember my friend Lee and I in Grandpa's basement. We're training. We get the gloves. Okay, do this, do this, and do that. Just filling them with a thousand instructions yeah. all at once, like you do <laughs> when you got someone who's actually interested. Right, and you're excited, and he's excited, and yeah, it was it was great. Um, so he was he trained all the way with a couple of his buddies, Mike Foot, and some people like that. Shout out to Mike Foot. All, uh, and the uh, Hart brothers, Jamie, Stephen, and and oh, Robbie, who's still out there, Rocky, and now yeah. Jamie's back in the fold and he's running uh, Olds yeah. Martial Arts. Yeah. yeah, awesome! Shout out to you, Jamie. So uh, these guys kind of came up together, and he was Chris was our first black belt that Gary and I ever tested, and that was 1996. So he mm. tested by himself in the in the school at Red Deer, and it was. It was a pretty tough test because it was just the five black belts sitting at the front and maybe there was a couple other like the Hearts and right. Justin Dorn and Leslie uh, Sponberg and people like that were there. But other than that, it was Chris just, okay, now show us this. Now show us that. Now fight that guy. Now fight that guy. Okay, you're not tired enough. Craig, go throw him on the ground. Because right. that was part of it. Once you, If you couldn't make this guy tired, you'd send Craig out and he'd just whip you around. He was a big, strong dude. He'd just throw you around for a while until you were tired. Right. And if you weren't tired, we'd just keep sending guys out until you were tired. Perfect. I remember uh, Sensei Dan, Mark's brother, went out and he's like, come on now, Chris. I know you're getting tired, but you got to keep going and just hit me. Hit me. That was his big thing. Come on. you got to do it. And Chris just looked up and just hauled off and front kicked him so hard in the stomach that he just... <laughs> dropped him oh. <laughs> and mark was there and mark goes okay that's a win moving on <laughs> and we all sort of just went okay that's a good thing to do on your black belt test yeah yeah i guess you'll find out hey yeah wow um and um so so how did so obviously with the title of crew chris crew chris is our our head of the our lumpayu our muay thai program under arashido uh how did how did that start so about well, he said he's, I think this is the 20, 20 year anniversary of him going to Thailand. Oh, so he, Mark was always involved in, in kickboxing. At that point, it was more like the PKA style. Yeah. Like they literally eight counted the eight kicks. Right. Cause boxers would come I've in had and two of those fights. <laughs> light people up. Right. And then they'd wave their leg around for, you know, 10 seconds and that'd be that. Right. right. So they instituted a rule that you had to kick ten, eight, I think it was eight, eight meaningful round. kicks per round or else you got points taken away yep. so anyways it was back in the day and then and then, and muay thai was just starting to cut uh starting to come onto the scene mike miles was doing you know was promoting it and was really involved and really excited about it and there were some other guys who were starting to get involved but it was still mostly kickboxing whatever right. shows were going on anyways chris really thought it was cool and wanted to get involved and so when he decided i want to he sat down with Gary and I and said, well, how can we, what can we do? Because back then our curriculum was massive. It was just a, a massive booklet because it was basically everything we had ever learned on written paper. down on a piece of paper right. and then handed to a white belt and right. said, good luck. <laughs> right. It was a shocking amount of information. Yep. Um, and it was, and it wasn't split up because, uh, we were, you know, we were doing kickboxing stuff. We had started dabbling oh, into I, I just everything, just put everything. Oh, on it was it. everything. <laughs> it was, there was jujitsu in there. There's MMA, there's self-defense stuff. Like, yeah. Nah, it was six just, backflip. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you, if you could do a backflip or a 720 kick or something, oh, oh. it was in there. Oh, that was supposed to be a joke. But I see. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it was in there. Um, so then we decided, okay, we need to start splitting this up because it's, we're not doing our students a service here. Like they're. They they can't 
we can't do enough t uh, training to actually be good at all of these things. Right. We need to split them up. So when Chris said, I want to really pursue Muay Thai, we said, well, this is great. This is a real opportunity for us. Why don't we task you with, uh, with um, going to explore Muay Thai, learning about it, bring it back to the group. So the idea was at that point, there was, you know, a dozen of us or so already who were black belts who wanted to, who, who we, we sat down and said, well, why don't we, rather than just to one or two people trying to steer the whole ship, why don't we, you do some and I do some and Mike does some and et cetera, et cetera. So Chris's mandate was to go out, learn about Muay Thai, figure it out, put it into a useful format and bring it back to the group and teach the group. And then a few years later, uh, Mike Yakulik did the same thing with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Right. Which is how we end up with uh, Arashido bearing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Lumpayu Muay Thai, which Lumpayu means, basically means the same thing as Arashido. Just Lumpayu is Thai. Right. Way of the storm. Right. Uh, um, and so there, there's our four, our four heads of Arashido martial arts. Uh, obviously, our chief, um, our, our, our two top members, two heads would be uh, Kyoshi Gary and uh, Kyoshi Mike starting it. And then again, including uh, Professor Mike and, and Crew Chris, which is awesome. And uh, all, all four of those guys have such an unbelievable, all four of you guys, an unbelievable wealth of martial arts. And just, but here's the thing I, I'm trying to relate to as I teach kids. Mm. It's not about wealth, uh, the wealth of the, the knowledge. It's about being able to communicate that knowledge mm. where everybody can understand it. Not right. one. That's and And that's where you guys, I mean, you know, by far excel, right? Like, well, it I mean, seems like we must have done something right because <laughs> yeah. over the last 30 years, and it really has been 30 years, like, well, more than that now since 88, right? right? We've been doing this and people have come and people have gone and there's been other groups that are still out there teaching, mm -hmm. but they're one guy or maybe they're one or two guys or yep. something. But we, are, we have 19 schools now yeah, and wow. we have over 300, I think our last count was 350 karate black belts, about 50... Muay Thai, or sorry, was it that many Muay Thai? No, about 20 Muay Thai black belts, the equivalent of, and uh, about 25 jujitsu black belts. So wow. one of the things that I think is kind of cool is that we keep we kept pushing, and we, I know well, you, you take someone like Kyoshi Gary, you can't drag him out of the gym. I mean, yep. let's go do something else. No, no, let's go back to the gym. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> he, he he's really a, a big motivator. Uh, you know, that way, but we, we've all worked our way through all the different martial arts. Like all four of us are black belts in all four or all three martial arts now. Right. Uh, right. With me being the last, I just got my, uh, black belt in, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu last year. Well, congrats on that, sir. No, thank you. Um, and you know, what's funny is, is, uh, I, I was I've been listening to this story again and again learning a lot of new cool things for those who don't know this is my own history of martial arts so for me this is cool I like mm -hmm. talking about this stuff um, but the fact that you said we picked up a Japanese translation book and just started looking that to me says everything we could talk or we can do whatever just shut up and do it who right. knows if it's right or wrong just shut up and do it just right. go just do it and that that to me is a Rashido as a whole let's just go go I, I mean it, but calculated go mm. you know what i mean like um and and just always pushing the envelope properly and and trying new things and just not being afraid to i don't know what that means go pick it up and go swing it around let's see right like mm. i and and t as far as i'm concerned that's what stops not 99 percent of martial artists 99 percent of people 
Yeah. They're just, we talk shit all day. We, we think about stuff all day and we don't right. actually Go. do anything. Right, right. And I think that's the big and difference. I think I was, I was going to mention this earlier, but I think it's, it's people like you too, Jay. I mean, the people who came to us, who were gravitated towards us. I mean, like you said earlier, I don't know if people know your history, but you came to us as a black belt already. You, you were a black belt in a couple different styles already. Right. Um, and you you made the conscious choice of like you know what I like what they're doing over there I'd like to be a part of that, and that's that's not easy because we've had a lot of people come and go who come in the, what we call the side door they come in as experienced and and useful martial artists already but it's very difficult to do what like Bruce Lee said you know empty your cup yeah. just allow yourself to go okay so I know a bunch of stuff but I'm here to learn I'm here to listen so. Why don't I just shut up and listen and maybe I'll get something I like. And like Bruce Lee said, you know, if, if you went there and you got a lot out of it, that's awesome. If you got nothing, well, you didn't really waste, you didn't lose anything because right. at least you learned that you, what you already knew was good right? and, and probably better than the average Joe. Right. 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 So people like you, people like we have literally hundreds of black belts, but we have probably 50 or 60 very useful um, instructors mm -hmm. and people who we've, who we, who we can absolutely trust. Like I'm going to go to BC this week and I'm going to walk away from my school in one of the busiest, craziest COVID, you know, times. And I'm going to be completely satisfied that not only will it get done well, probably better than if I was there. Cause I just get in the way now. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a nice guarantee. I myself that you can just sort of do that. And, and, and the reality as, as a business owner, a martial arts school owner is, it's it's really nice to know that I can walk away and go to a place like BC or whatever, and my business is actually going to grow as I leave. Yeah, like like that just never happened for me. I'll speak for myself. That never happened until recently. Thanks, COVID. That took that away a little bit, but <laughs> hey, that's okay. <laughs> it's I'm coming back. Hopefully, I'm, I'm willing to climb my way back. So, 19 schools. <coughs> um, we we have a jujitsu program, a thriving jujitsu program, thriving Muay Thai program, thriving karate program. Is there anything, is there any direction that might be different or something you could see adding or s a, another arm that Arashido reaches out and becomes part of? Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely, we, we dabble in weapons on and off, right? Yeah, it yeah. Go, seems to go in a kind of a cycle. We go in for a year or two and everybody gets excited and then it, and then it fades away a little bit. I think the, I know we're going to talk about this a little later, but I think the karate in the Olympics has made a little bit of a change. Well, and now Muay Thai being accepted towards the Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. That is going to make some significant changes in not only how we pursue, you know, the who pursues us, right? I mean, is it, are people going to come to us and say, the Olympics is on right now, right? You're watching all the people do fantastic things. Right, and you're like, right. well, geez, man, that could be me. I could be there doing that. And so if you're a young person who's gotten involved in a sport you really think is cool and like, and go, you know what, in four or eight years, I could be going somewhere representing Canada and, you know, for an Olympics. That's pretty amazing. So there's going to be some, I think there'll be some some opportunity there to grow the club and grow around a spot that we've never had. See, one of the things about other sports is there's always a, there's a pinnacle. Well, most sports anyways. Yeah, yeah. But use hockey as an example, right? I played hockey as a little guy and I wasn't necessarily ever going to go anywhere with it but that didn't matter because the the goal was there you had another level to get to right and if you could get right. to that another level 
maybe you get spotted by someone and maybe you learn enough and you get, you, you know, you can work your way out of the minors and then you maybe get into juniors and maybe you get into AAA and you can work your way around there and then a scout spot, spots you or whatever. Right. There's always the chance, no matter how slim it is, that you could get to the NHL. Right. But in martial arts, it's never been like that, right? right. You're doing it as a, uh, a, a personal growth. More right. than anything. Right. Some physicality, of course. You're going to get in better shape. You're going to theoretically be able to defend yourself better. Things like that. Right. But there was never that that um, push to be, if I do this and this and this, I could work my way up into a provincial champion, a national champion, a, a international, and then potentially Olympics. Right. So it's not doesn't just have to be for the holistic anymore. You can be a competitive, hardcore athlete. Right. And you're seeing that with uh, jujitsu right now. Like there's right. actual competitions being made like ADCC stuff like that is that is specifically having trials all over the world right bringing these guys together as the best of the best yeah and it's starting to turn into a real show a really actually interesting thing to watch because anything at its highest level is pretty cool to watch yes I flipped on the TV the other day and the Olympics was on and and ping pong was on table tennis and I was (laughs) like oh my god what and then two seconds later I was like holy oh my what <laughs> just because these guys are doing unbelievable things right if i hit it over the net super slow i'm super happy about that <laughs> yeah but anyways so i think that could really change things so i think our focus i still think we're going to have a real big obviously family martial arts is is where we are and yep. what we believe in but i could see us having some real high level training uh, courses as well right we, we always as a fight coach myself the bottom line is and i'm sure that's 99 percent of fighters coaches out there we gotta we gotta do it off hours where they're at midnight where oh, they're on saturday yeah. mornings <laughs> yeah. and that might change a little bit maybe maybe there's maybe now so. a saturday course for yeah. the fighters you know i mean and, and even with the juniors i know we're, we're kind of starting up our junior punch face friday again to try to get them competitive but with the with the wbc world championships uh and the olympics like there's a you don't have to come like on the other podcast I do, Bulldog and Bear Show with Kieran Kettle. What, what? Um, um, there's a 10-year-old kid that doesn't have to go, hey, I want to be a world champion. I go, oh, Johnny, it's so cute. Yeah. We'll get you your first fight in 10 years. <laughs> right. You know, I, I can say, well, here's what you got to do. Here's a path. You're right. Right. And if it doesn't happen in this four years, good. Now you have four years to get better. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I didn't think it would light a, Chris, uh, light a fire in a Chris McMillan's rear end. As much as it did, I was impressed at how excited he was. But yeah. good, because the reality is I'm stepping away from that a little bit. A little bit. I still yeah. want to be super competitive, but I can't... Bro, I got to be up at 5 in the morning with my kid, Chris. So I can't be there at midnight holding pads. Right. You know, neither My body doesn't want it anymore. Yep. Um, okay. Where Where do you see... So with, with now, obviously, with martial arts, uh, karate, Muay Thai, and, and who knows? You're probably going to see jiu-jitsu in the Olympics. It's probably going to happen. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm... This is my opinion. If you're going to see equestrian in the Olympics, how are you not seeing jiu-jitsu in the Olympics? Yeah. But um, do you see this changing A, martial arts, um, and B, Arashido martial arts? If uh, if jiu-jitsu gets in the Olympics, Muay Thai's in the karate's in the Olympics, um, do you see that changing A, the format of martial arts, or even the format slash curriculum of Arashido? Yeah, good question. Uh possibly not the curriculum we do on a day-to-day basis, but I think there will be a new curriculum created. Absolutely. That's exciting to hear. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Daisy Fresh um, BJJ 
Oh, uh, oh yeah. Yep. Pedigo fighting. You were showing me that. Yeah. The, these guys, they're a little rough around the edges and maybe a little is a understatement. And, but... and I'm a Muay Thai guy, by the way. And I just want to start to interrupt. And I really appreciated what you showed me. Just, just, just a caveat there. Yeah. They're, they're changing. Well, they're coming out on YouTube with videos of how they're training. And it is a completely different methodology because they're training for world championships in mind. Right. They're, they're still going to get almost all the values that average Joe is going to get out of martial arts, the confidence, the, the self-awareness, the, all the discipline, all the things that go along with it, the courage, but they're going to, they're training from day one to try to win something. Right. They right. want medals on their wall. That right. is their That's whole life. mentality. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I think you're going to see more and more and more. Uh, I've been watching a little bit of flow grappling, you know, who's a road, road to world championships or road to ADCC. And these two young guys are going around um, interviewing different gyms, different clubs about what they're doing to prepare and then showing some, some video of how they're preparing and what drills they're doing and how they're fighting and stuff. And it is, it's pretty interesting because they're not they're I'm sure they have regular classes doing regular, fun, normal, everyday martial arts skills and drills, but this is not it. This is, okay, guys, uh, grab your gloves or grab your geese. It's uh, five five-minute rounds of drilling, and then it's 10 five-minute rounds of, of rolling at the end, and then we're going to lift weights at the end. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, like that's Tuesday afternoon, and then you come back on Tuesday night to do, get some uh, fine-tuning in or whatever. With Dan nothing, nothing and- but sharks. Oh yeah, nothing but sharks. I watched one last night that had it was in the they call it the blue basement where uh, Gary Tonin and uh, oh now I can't think of his name the most famous one who's the best right now. Anyways, it's in um, John Danaher's uh, in New York. They call it the blue basement. Anyways, there was some of the biggest names ever there preparing for the 2017s. It's a few years ago now, but Homolo and uh, Michael Pena and uh different different guys that are just they were all the highest level guys and they were all in the same room sharing information and beating the hell out of each that's other that's worth a lot of money to watch or be in oh uh, yeah <laughs> the fly on the wall in right. that room gordon ryan that's the person huh. i'm trying to think of and i mean who's who's you know come out over the last few years and basically shown that he's the best yeah yeah from what i don't even do jujitsu and I, i'm well aware of that yeah. um um, okay, well, so to answer your question, I think there's a whole new set of training coming, and and Arashido is always leading the way. So I could see it, and I could see Gary since uh, Kyoshi Gary being right at the head of that <laughs> leaderboard. Awesome, which which will put all of us at the same. So uh, that's cool. That's that's if when who, how who knows doesn't matter. But I I, I always know Arashido is always searching for for something to bring to to the group to everybody that that's why Arashido is what it is and uh maybe that's it that sort of competition coming back that'd be a and for good reason with all these things coming to the olympics the sponsorship like like there's a reason to do it not for just a medal anymore yeah like there's Tur- a reason tournaments to... were starting to die around yes. here yes they really were i mean we were holding our own club tournaments we were just no having point. our own club tournaments just to get people experience and we had the numbers yeah yeah so we could yeah yeah that's awesome Okay, um, moving on. So, so obviously, some Arashido history there. And, and listen, we, I, I mean, I'm sure if Kyoshi Mike wants to come back, we can do this again. <laughs> we can still touch on, I mean, a million subjects. Sure. Uh, but I did have some questions So I, I, on social media. I did put out there, if you have any questions for, 
uh, for Kyoshi Mike. Let's let's hear them. And, and we got a couple. I won't include any names, just so some aren't obvious and uh, uh, people feel like they can ask um, you know any question they feel. Number one, who was your toughest tournament competitor that you fought against? You know, it's going to sound funny, but uh, it was always Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we knew each other. Well, we were always going to the same tournaments. So, I mean, right. I fought a lot of different people from a lot of different places. There was people from Saskatchewan. Uh, shout out to the Shears organization yeah. and Brian Parks and Regina. Some some really tough guys there that you could have some battles with. But it didn't seem very often, right? Right. Um, but Gary and I were almost always competing, it seemed like. And the, and the worst part was since we trained with each other so much, we knew each other inside out right, right like we right. knew each other's moves <laughs> so people would always say oh your fights must be epic and i said actually they're kind of boring because yeah. he set up in a you know right leg forward with his with his arm tilted i go oh i see what you're doing but right. i'm not falling for that and <laughs> i'd set up with my left ridge hand starting to float and he'd like nope 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 not falling for that dancing in front of each other yeah so there was oftentimes pretty but then when it would would go it would be like a just a two bulls smashing together right nice and, yeah, it was pretty funny. I remember Dwight Shear was refing one time and uh, refing us fight, and he was, he was actually like smiling and laughing, like, oh, "You guys are, you guys know each other, don't you? You you know exactly what he's gonna do, don't you?" That's nice. pretty good. Oh, there. How many times have you guys competed against each other? Would you say if you had like like so many you can't count? Yeah, dozens. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, next, Coke or Pepsi? Coke, because you need that burning to go down the throat. Like, you don't just need sugar. I agree. You yeah, it's got to burn. Both. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> um, this, I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, so these are questions from... From fans. From the... Okay, from, yeah, from YouTube. social media. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I had to sort of reword this one. It was worded slightly weird. Um, when you think of competing, yourself competing, what's the first fight that comes to mind? consistently the one that i remember a lot because it was because of the circumstances but i fought todd johnson oh yeah you yeah. remember uh todd who runs pma now that's so right shout out to pma and todd johnson out of calgary here. yep um and josh griffin and those guys uh but we fought oh man it had to have been uh, we had to have been pretty young uh, so mike miles used to throw a big tournament a karate tournament followed by a kickboxing card Battle of the Which, Rocky Mountains and Prairies. Battle of the Rocky Mountains yeah. and the Prairies. Shout out. And <laughs> looking back, I'm like, how in God's name did he even do that? Like now when I do a karate tournament, I'm exhausted <laughs> yeah. after. Then yeah. imagine finishing a karate tournament, trying to wrap it up by four or five, and then setting up a ring. An evening show. And then you set up for a whole nother night of kickboxing. It was yeah. just, it was a massive undertaking. But really cool because it what it allowed was for a big group of people who were at the tournament to stick around and, and, and really uh, expose them to the sort of the new sport of Muay Thai that was going on. This had to been, if it was the two thousands, I'd be, it was very early. At Arundel College there? One or two. It was actually in Sate. Oh yeah. 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 uh, Where they had the big, um, what's it called? The bleachers where it was, it was really well set up. And uh, I just remember because, because Todd and I had won, he must have won middleweight and I won heavyweight or vi- maybe vice versa. I don't know. Um, anyway, so we were in the final, we were in the, what they called the grand championships. So back then they would have, there was enough black belts back then that they'd usually have three or maybe even four divisions. Oh, and then man. the winners of each division could fight off against each other for, uh, you know, usually it was a hundred bucks or something, right. a trophy. It, was, it wasn't, uh, you're never getting rich off it, but it was pretty cool. 
And so we got good to go, bragging rights back in the day because oh, there was divisions sure. and divisions of black belts. So if you came out on top, yeah, for sure, good bragging rights. And uh, and so we got to so we won our divisions during the day at whatever three o'clock four o'clock. And he said, "Stick around for tonight, and you guys will be during one of the breaks for in kickboxing. Oh, you no guys way. will be the the uh, go in the ring and fight your point sparring so that people get to see you. Nice. So that was pretty cool. So we got to be in the ring." Doing our points, firing, fighting for some money, and fighting for some money in a big ass trophy. It was probably that was probably one of those trophies that was taller than me. All right, my kid loves it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you? And to be honest, I don't even know who won. I think I won, but I'm not even 100 <laughs> yeah, percent sure yeah, because it didn't even matter. It wasn't about that. It right. was about like the that the was spectacle. the first time the lights were on and there was people watching. And, you and Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. That's a cool story. Um, what would you be doing if it was not martial arts with your life? Um, I was, I had, I dabbled in cars. I liked cars. I bought a 67 Mustang when I was a kid and played right. with that a lot. And I took shop in school and I, I worked at a, at an auto body shop as an, an like a, to get school credits. Yeah. So I, I was definitely interested in the school or sorry, the car world. Now, whether or not I would have pursued that or not, I don't know because I don't know how much money there was back then. And, you know, I was right. definitely wanting money. I, undoubtedly would have ended up in the oil field like everybody else. Right, right. right. I mean, it's just, it's too, back then especially, it was too much money. Like right. it was just, you just, so much money, you just couldn't not do it. Right, right. yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, yeah. we still ended up in there a little bit, Kyoshi Gary and I, but just on the periphery where we were still able to teach at night. Right, you know? awesome. And we'd make enough, we did shutdowns. So a shutdown just meant you worked, they came in and tested the plants every year and then you had to put it back together once they did all the testing oh, so it was a minimal you know two or three month run right and we made enough money in those three months to support our Training karate ha <laughs> hobby all the rest of the year nice. right so God, it was good so in that case thank god for martial arts no yeah, offense oh, to no, no work question. on the rig but that's not easy work no um another question um i i'm assuming this is from somebody maybe north of 30 possibly 40 yeah given your flexibility how often would you, do you and should you be stretching and for how long? Well, depending on how old you are, the more, whatever the number is, if it's big, more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, w I was going to say that genetics, and they do play a massive role in it, right? Because both yep. Chris and I are very flexible and always have been. But that being said, I was thinking back to a bunch of my pictures that I saw of me, you know, in karate at the, at the beginning and... I was no, I was no better than anybody else. Like my split stretch was, you know, foot and a half off the ground. I was not close. Hmm. Um, so I would say, but I didn't go out and do like, you know, yoga and tons of specific stretching exercises. I would say just a little bit each day, but you can't not do it. You know what I mean? You right. can't stretch once a week and go, yeah, that'll, that'll cut it. Yeah. Cause your muscles will just rip right off the bone. Right. And I, I admit I'm, I'm. I'm 39 years old. My flexibility is going, but I also admit I've probably stretched four, maybe five times my whole life. And, uh, like, oh, you're serious. I'm going to do this. Okay. Maybe two, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, I, I think just kind of in those years of being young and developing, I just always tried to kick high and therefore I'm, I'm, I'm just flexible. Right. I didn't really work on and it. And I'm, I almost always stretched with my classes. So I stretched oh, when I was teaching. So you're stretching many times so a day. So I stretch several times a day. Maybe yeah. not a lot, like two or three minutes at a time. But I think that really made a difference. Because right. for a while there, I could get down to full splits um, side to side. 
which is the hard one. Yeah. Front and back, some people can get there pretty easy, but side to side is a hard one. You, you have to have loose hips to do right. that. Which, right. I mean, I've always had. One, one of the biggest reasons I can kick well, though, is because no one told me I couldn't. What do you, what, what do you mean? Well, when you grow up, you, you, have, you, you put limitations on yourself, yeah. whether it's by, you know, sometimes your body just says, yeah, we're not going to do that. Right. But I think a lot of time people put limitations on themselves by their role. You're a tall guy who's maybe bigger than average. Yeah, you're not supposed to be flexible. Well, I didn't know that. And I hung out with Gary every day. And if you could, if you ever saw someone kick who could, you know, put their foot in your face on 10 different ways, it was Gary. He could kick so fast and so well. And so I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to do that. So I just tried him. to copy him. Right. Because he was a year ahead of me, right? right? He was always a belt ahead of me. Right. So I just tried to do everything that he could do. Perfect. Well, the advantage is that I'm six inches taller. So, I mean, if <laughs> right. I could do, if I could do what I did, he could do, although I probably never right. got there. But I got close enough that my, my, especially my right leg, but I was very dangerous with my front leg. You were going to get kicked in the face at least once per fight till you learned your lesson. Yeah, you know, that's a good thing. That That's that's true. Those those kind of kickers like that are usually the, the shorter, stockier. They, they generally have that. Yeah, they've got, it's a very, their, their, their body is built in a way that they're more balanced. Right, mean? okay, yeah. If that, you think of a, a basketball player, the taller you get, the more so, sort of gangly and awkward. out of control your, your limbs are. Yeah, that's a good way to say it because I was going to say tall people who kick they can, but you have like the kicking control and that you don't usually see that from tall people. And that's exactly it's balance. It's, it's a balance. I, 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 I wouldn't say I practiced a lot because back then it didn't seem like practice. Right. You just it don't was know. It was just fun. It right. was just, we were kicking for fun. <laughs> right. Like uh, Gary Kim and I used to set the, the, uh, what's it called? The head guard, you know, the yep. macho head guards. Yep. We'd set them on the wave masters and we'd see how high we could do jump spinning hook kicks or jump round those oh. kicks and we just go higher and higher and higher and and you just did it like a million times because it was just a fun thing and to fun. do and what hurts my feelings to hear that is a i look at those things and go oh, bro i'm gonna get hurt man if not on the first one the third yeah. well and it was 30 years ago <laughs> true but but what also sucks is i don't really see that culture anymore no it's not as it's not so much there is yeah. It? yeah like no, I, I try to push some of our young guys into that like why aren't you doing that i did it and they're like i, I could go to the mall or I don't know video games phone. maybe yeah, yeah. yeah look at my phone I don't know yeah it's, yeah. A, it's definitely a different world yeah I mean sure. we had video games I'm not that old for God's sake right but, <laughs> but we didn't have a uh all the the phone has changed the world or smartphone and is it mixed with like like the position we're in and just an unbelievable thirst for martial arts you know like that's all I didn't give I didn't care about video games I wanted to do martial arts yeah, I don't know. For me, it was just, I was just having fun with my friends. Right, because that's the world we live in. But our friends are just as free martial arts as we were, <laughs> yeah. right? And maybe that's just it. Find, right. find the right friends. And we're, yeah, we're knocking everybody. Where are you guys not doing this? Maybe we're the weird ones. <laughs> it's quite possible. Yep. Uh, okay, last question. Um, I, th I found this one really good. Okay. Um, and, and I'm going to say you don't have a lot of time to talk to this person. Like, it, it's almost passing. I, I got to go home. My mom's waiting for me outside. Mm. Hey, Kyoshi Mike. I want to be a fighter. What's, the, but not, I'm not there yet. What's the single piece, best piece of advice you can give me? Um, how, 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 how oh, well, um, what is, what's the, I'll content? tell you what, let, let's say, let's say, let me change that. Let's say they're 18. Okay. They're done school. And, and they're, um, they're working. Are they brand new or they've got a little bit of experience under their belt? They're, or? they're, they, let's I say, I guess it doesn't matter. 
Um, someone like us, they're young, they're hungry, they're fairly new, but they, they see what they want to do. Right. I, I would, and I, I thought about this a while ago, actually. And I would, I would say there's tons of advice you could give them, you know, keep your left hand up. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Stuff like that. But that's not really what it's about. Right. I don't think it's a, I would say the most important thing you can do, no matter how good you are and actually the worse you are, the better is start competing yeah. immediately yeah. because there is no substitute for experience That's right. and it doesn't matter how good you are with your technique and your cardio and whatever. If you have never done it, if you've never competed before, you have the same exact reactions as everybody else. The first time they step in the ring, right? It's overwhelming and too many, too much information happening at once stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. So the best thing about starting early is that, there's no expectations. Right. Nobody expects you to win. Go be a wild guy, spin on the floor. Right. Like they don't, you know, you're you're supposed to lose. You're brand new. Right. And if you do win, they give you a pat on the head. Good for you. Yeah. And if you do lose, they go, yeah, well, you were supposed to lose. Who cares? Right. And so, but the but the the skills that you get out of ex, um, competing can't be replicated. They can be closely replicated in the gym. You can do, you know, punch face drills Friday. and you can do punch face Friday and you can same. spar and you can, you can do a lot of drills that are similar, but you can't replicate the adrenaline, the, um, the lights, the sounds, exactly. the people yelling at you, the drunk people in the crowd. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's so impossible to just teach someone that yeah. you can say, you can tell them, but it doesn't mean anything right. until you get in there in the first time. And it doesn't matter how how good you get or how experienced you get, you still get those butterflies. You still, right. which tells you that it's sort of, that tells you how experienced. I wonder what those guys who have 300 plus fights, 350 fights, I wonder if they still get butterflies. Right. I bet you Just, they do. Yeah, the moment's because big. Because they're going to fight another guy who has 370 wins, right? right? I mean, right. the moment is big. The whole world is able to watch you as long as you have YouTube. There's a world title online. There's nobody in the crowd. It's got to. It's got to. That, that's, it still had to have, have have affected them, right? Yeah. But so I would say that is the single biggest thing is go find a tournament or uh, like even the Friday night things you guys are doing and put yourself in the center of it. Right. Because there's this, the, the leading up to it is so nerve wracking, so scary. And then it's over like that yeah. in your mind. Like yeah. when you look back, it's like, well, that, that was nothing. That, that took so little time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, whether you just say, I can't wait to do that again, or, oh, my God, I'm glad that's over. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just the, what, who who said it? Someone was talking about it the other day. It might have been Keenan Cornelius. He said, I fought this guy. And he said, when I got out of there, I learned three months worth of information right. in that five-minute fight. Right. <laughs> he said, there's no replacing that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought you, you, you said it really good, too. I, I, I always see people, the new people who want to come and fight, and they talk to me like they're fighting for a... UFC world title, they're undefeated, and mm. if they lose, they have to go and crawl in a hole. Sure. And you were just like, no, just go spin on the floor. Just who cares if you suck? Everyone expects you to lose. Like that takes all that pressure off that you put on yourself. I think. I that's think the a world is changing a little bit like that right now because boxing for so long, boxing was all or nothing. Yep. Right. You had to have be undefeated. a very, very good record, or you just weren't taken seriously. Yeah. But that's a not journeyman. so much the case anymore. Kickboxing, especially. Yeah. And now MMA. BJJ and MMA, it's not really even a thing. Like. I was listening to one of the biggest names, Homolo, and he said, you know, I've, I've I've won so many fights. And he said, but I've lost some big ones too, but try to find someone who remembers them. Right. Nobody does. Nobody That's cares. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, now, how about, um, how about as a, so, so let's say they're, they're beyond that. They're Chris McMillan. 
Mm. Okay, guys, Kyoshi Mike, I've, I've been thinking uh, I want to start my own gym. What can mm. you tell me? Okay, interesting. Um, I would say the first thing I would ask them is, have you ever heard of or read a book called The E-Myth? The e -Myth, no, I haven't. No, it's called The Entrepreneurial Myth. So it's written by, you know, a guy. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, insert his name here. Um, anyways, he, it was one of the first books that was ever recommended to us to read when we started going down to those big uh, conferences down in Florida and stuff about how to learn how to run martial, run martial arts school, not just how to punch and kick. Right. Which is why martial artists get in trouble because they're really good at punching and kicking. And they say, well, I love this. Everybody else probably will love this. And I'll probably be a millionaire by, what, Tuesday? Yeah. yeah. So... Um, <laughs> Anyways, that's not true. Uh, well, it hasn't. It hasn't been the Tuesdays that I've seen so far. But <laughs> still waiting for that Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, the the E Myth uh, is a written. Um, the 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 guy who wrote it had three categories. Um, so you're the entrepreneur, the manager, and the technician. And he said ninety, seventy, thirty, whatever percent of the of the world fall into the technician category. So let's say you like building fridges working mm -hmm. on fridges rather than martial arts you you love it you're really good at a, you're a good mechanic you love working with your hands you're really good with a screwdriver you can fix any fridge in the world and you think to yourself i should start a fridge fixing company yeah because i'm really really good at it and then so you do and then all of a sudden you're supposed to put on a new hat. Well, you were up until now, your whole life has been around fixing fridges and you're a mechanic. Yeah. You go, you fix a fridge, you have a nice day, you go home for a beer, chat with your right. wife, the end. Right. It, Sounds great. Yeah. Well, the problem is you just signed up for 10 jobs that you didn't know you had because yeah. you thought you were a fridge fixer. But really what you are is a guy who has to look for frid who wants, who wants you to fix their fridge. Now you got to start advertising and marketing. Mm -hmm. Well, who expects, uh, how are you going to get any money? How are you going to get that money? Right. Well, somebody's got to collect it, right? So now you got to become a bill collector. Right. And uh, how do people know where to find you? How do you know? Yeah. Where do you advertise? Like who does your books? You know, you know who wants money more than you? The government. The government. <laughs> right now, especially. They want their taxes right <laughs> now, right? So now you got to be an accountant or have someone and you got to be able to do your taxes. And you start doing pretty good because you're good at fixing fridges and and you think i should have two or three guys working for me because you know and so it. now yeah. you're a manager yeah and you know what you don't do anymore fix fridges fix fridges <laughs> that's right so you <laughs> created a job for yourself that you don't probably even like right because and the job that you did like you don't do it anymore because you don't have time because there's a hundred other jobs to do so we learned the hard way, and we banged our head against the wall a lot. I just, I just want you guys to. Um, um, we're at one minute and twenty-one seconds. I just want you to go back to like, I'm sorry, an hour and twenty-one seconds. Um, twenty-one minutes. I want you to go back to an hour and eighteen minutes and re-listen to this again because, as far as I'm concerned, it was gold. Like mm -hmm. what you just dropped about the business thing there, that that little story about the fridge thing was friggin' gold. Mm -hmm. Please, please re-listen to that if you're thinking about doing martial arts for for a business opening a gym. Sorry. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a eye-opening endeavor, and we managed. And I think the only reason we did manage is because we had the collective, right? We had I, each other to bounce off and and right. work our way through. I think if it was just one of us or 
whatever, I think we would have given up because it's right. way easier to go get a, just get a job. It really is. And yeah. then teach martial arts as a hobby on the side. You'd right. still get the same happiness. You'd still teach some people. It'd yep. still be fun. Have some fighters. But you wouldn't be able to do the kinds of things we've done. Send right. people, like we've had people go fight in world champion Muay Thai. We've had people go, we've had people who train with us go all the way to the UFC. Right. We have people, some of the kids that we are training are now going and trying out for Team Canada and they will probably have a legitimate shot at making the the Olympic karate team. That's insane. Yeah, like we've done some really cool stuff that yeah. there's no way we could have done without dedicating right. 24 hours a day. Right. Both, yeah, both feet in, off you go. Yeah, it's got to be that way. I agree. Um, awesome. So thank you guys for, for bringing those questions. I, I, that last one was awesome. E even for me, I, I literally was picturing the repairman and his employees and stuff. That, that was the perfect uh, analogy. Uh, okay, guys, we're just going to wrap up the podcast here pretty, pretty quick. We got a couple things to finish off here. Um, our top three. So again, podcast where we're just going to just slightly have fun with each other's knowledge. Nothing crazy uh, unless we choose to, but that's going to leave a lot of dead air as we think about it. So <laughs> Uh, my top three for you. I would love to hear your top three favorite martial. <laughs> this is, I I always think this is fun. Your top three martial arts moves that you like to hit people with that make you feel good when it lands. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 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 single biggest one. It, it's funny because I'm known for one, but it's it's not the one that I. It's not the one that it's the one that everybody thinks about me. But so spinning back kick is uh -huh. obviously the one that everybody thinks about. <laughs> but it's not the one that I, it just sort of came out of nowhere one day. I just spun and it worked. So I went. Oh, I guess I can do that. Start doing that whenever I want to. And then pretty soon it started to be a thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I remember doing that one day. Uh, Branya, do you remember Branya? Oh yeah, yep. And she was fighting me and hitting me hard, and I just. I, it was a non-thinking. I didn't think. She threw a left kick and I just jump spinning back kicked her. And I, I, in the air, I was like, stop it. Pull it back. Don't let it hit. No. And boom. Because she weighs like half as much as me. 115 pounds. And she <laughs> flew across the room. And I remember Gabor and people like that looking at me like, what you is monster. wrong with you, you idiot? I'm calling the police. <laughs> yeah, I tried to pull that one back, but... Okay, so spinning back kick has to be right <laughs> right there on the list. I think uh, Renshi Ken from Sylvan Lake he'll probably have a he'll probably have a, a thought on that one as well. Sure. So does Punch Face Friday, Matt and Gabor <laughs> and me. <laughs> uh, but my but what I was known for by far the most out of all my career. Can I guess? Can I guess? Maybe I'm wrong, but I can I guess? Go, go ahead. Ridge hand. Yes. Oh yeah. Defensive ridge hand. I would. I would. I'm a counter fighter, so I would. I'll draw people in. And Gary Gary gave me the name the nickname the eel said you're just so hard to hit and once you once i extend i get clipped in the face right it's like and it's not a hard hit like it's not one that hits like a ton of bricks yeah i should say i shouldn't shouldn't say that because it's a very light technique it's kind of like a back fist just the opposite right right but when you get hit by it you're usually in such a bad position that it, right. you you get your you get your bell rung yeah and i didn't really think that was true i thought ah you know people are exaggerating i'm just barely i'm giving them a little love tap right. on the side of the head right but i fought alan lavelle once in out in saskatchewan he's one he was one of dwight Shear's like dude. bad man he mm -hmm. he took out a lot of people anyways uh, I beat him, and at the end, he came up to me and he after, and I thought, I, like, I thought he was gonna fight me again because he looked, he looked mad, and he was a big scary guy. And he comes <laughs> up and he goes, "What did you hit me with on that third thing? It came, it hit me in the ear. How did you hit me in the ear?" And I said, "Oh, it's a, I do this, I do a ridge hand where I go around over your shoulder." And he goes, 
man, that rung my bell. I had no <laughs> idea. I thought someone threw something from the crowd because <laughs> it hit me from a place that I didn't think you could hit me right. from. Right. Well, you seemingly didn't move. <laughs> yeah, I right. just dipped my shoulder and leaned away, right? Nice. And That's then cool. uh, the fun, the one that I, but uh, the one that I like the best, like hitting people with, is a hook kick. Hook kick, okay. Yeah. I was thinking side kick. Oh well, that's good too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hook kick was up there. Yeah, hook kick. Yeah. Uh, is it because you set it up off a of side kick? I always find you don't hit me hard with your hook kicks, but you hurt my ego really bad. Like you catch me when my hands are on my knees, basically. I'm like, oh, how did I? Like, how did I not see that? Hmm. Like, is it? There's so many great ways to set up a hook kick, right? Because your knee chambers on the inside, everybody sees it. Right. And then it dips to the outside and goes around. So, like you say, your hands are quite often either leading forward to block or setting up a punch or doing something right. where your hands are way ahead of you. And I have now snuck around to the side and or the back of you and yeah. kind of catching you in the same, same as the ridge and kind of catching you from the side where you're like, Hey, what just happened? Getting hit with one of the hardest parts of your body, the heel that sucks. Mm. I try um, not to do that. That definitely hurts. Ah, you know, Toes welcome to martial arts. Yeah. Um, all right. My top three, your top three. I was going to ask you, uh, you can't you can't use the big ones obviously because uh, we teach them karate, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu. Okay. But what would be your three favorite martial arts outside of the top three? Whoa. Or our top three, I guess. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, I was gonna make it more specific and say out of Southeast Asia, but I'll I'll just make it any any. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, I always had a pretty interesting fascination a little bit with judo, and I had a little martial arts ignorance. Um, because I was like, listen, I do Muay Thai. Judo's got to be easy. Mm. Then I started hearing pe people missing toes and their right radius is a, a metal bar. And I'm like, what? wait, pardon me? Like, started looking into it. Like, judo is really hard on the body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know. But uh, I, I always, I liked the, uh, I guess as a martial artist, maybe I just grew up in a, in a slightly, not, not aggressive gym, but hey, you know, a little, maybe a little, but not in a bad way. And I just think that uh, I like the aggressiveness like Muay Thai, I like the aggressiveness of judo, and I, I'm as a karate man, I love tripping. Like it's I, all about aggression. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I, I really like that. Um, contrary to what people might believe, but kung fu. Oh, I, yeah. I, I know, I know. For me, that seems weird, but for me, it's the flexibility and balance. I'm, 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 I'm not. I don't. I'm now, this is just me. I'm not. I'm. I personally wouldn't choose kung fu as a a system of self-defense for myself. I'm not saying it's not useful just for myself, mm. but I'm, I'm super impressed with the balance. Like I, I don't, I don't know any other martial arts really that's that impressive with balance. Yeah. You ever watch those wushu guys? Do? I love it. Yeah. It's amazing. It, it, I'm, I love it. I love all martial arts and I find beauty in, in, it doesn't, you don't have to be a bone crunching fighter for me to find beauty in what you do. Right. And I'm really impressed with that kind of stuff. And funny enough, if, um, if I was a young man, capoeira, Oh yeah, but cool boy. The, the closest I get is playing PlayStation. I can't do that crap anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something you said made me think. I always used to say to the kids in the class that martial arts to me is a kind of an oxymoron, right? Because martial means military, right? Means discipline and 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 structure and fighting and damage and violence, right? And art is the opposite right so Flow, i beauty. you know and people have talked about that well how do you justify those two to being together and i said well i think the only way you can think of it is if you if you try to think i am going to do something that could be used as a violent destructive force of nature and i'm going to do it in such a way that when you look at it you go wow that's beautiful yeah yeah 
Yeah. And, and if, if you're unsure of what I'm talking about, go on YouTube and watch those, uh, those like Wushu weapon demonstrations. Mm. They're unbelievable. It's like a movie. And like fast. Yeah. Like, where they're fighting with weapons yeah, yeah. and stuff, like, like doing demo stuff. How long does that take to get good at? Oh my it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so there, there's my top three. Um, student shout out. Uh, obviously, now, you're, I know we were farming for the week, and, and uh, so maybe your student shout-out is going to be a little different. Mine's going to be uh, Scott McPhail. Listen, Scott's my friend. Am I giving you a shout-out because you're my friend? No. Am I giving you a shout-out because my kid sees you every day at daycare for some reason, like we go there at the same time? Nope. <laughs> but uh, I'm giving you a shout-out, sir, because every Punch Face Friday, nobody wants to really get in the ring and put themselves on camera, but you are always the first guy to volunteer, and that catches my eye because... I don't know if your opponent eventually for Punch Face Friday is listening, but I know what you're doing. You're getting comfortable with the ring. You're trying to get that experience like we talked about earlier in the podcast. So when it's time to to go, um, that job is easy. Uh, I recognize what you're doing, sir, and it has caught my eye. Shout out to you. Keep it up, buddy. How about you, Kyoshi Mike? Well, mine's going to be more like a, a shout out of the year because mm. this last year has been crazy, right? Crazy. I'm sure you guys talked about it already, but with the COVID and the... So a couple different people or our groups that I want to recognize. And the first one is um, all of our students who stuck with us. Yeah. Like I said, we have, I've, I've known personally half a dozen martial arts schools that have, that have gone bankrupt. Me They've too. just called it a day and yeah. said, we're not doing this anymore. Not, so we have 19 Arashidos and not one of our school went bankrupt. That's there was a couple of them that were close, sure. but we kind of banded together and helped people. And, and uh, the only reason that we could, I mean, the government offer, offered us a few bucks here and there, and but it was, it, you know, if you've ever run a business, you realize it was not enough. You kept my, my, my ship afloat while it was sinking a little, for a little longer. Absolutely. This, these people, and I had people who, what we started, when COVID started, we went right to um, Zoom, right? We started right away, tried, yep. to, tried to do online classes. And there was a number of people, quite a lot of people who tried to do the online you know, training in their basement, training in their living room, and they kept paying their monthly dues. And then there was quite a few others who went, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pop in now and then, and we'll just do the zoom. And they kept paying their monthly dues. Then there was like another group of people who just said, you know, I just want there to be a quality place for me to come back to when the time comes. So you just keep taking my money and, and I'll just see you later. And and that's and, unbelievable. For, for the reason of a, we get to keep our gym open and I can keep teaching martial arts, but like you said, like, like this is a 24 hour a day thing. And just that just sense of gratitude, we understand what's happening and we want this to come back because we love this. That really carried me a, a long way through COVID because it was easy to get angry at everybody. Oh, for and everyone sure. did. And we were frustrated a lot. Yeah. Like Sensei Dan, I was thinking of him as a, he's one of my longest term students, I think 17 years. And he, I never heard a word from him. He never trained. I never saw him on Zoom, paid for an entire year and a half. He just texted me the other day and said, hey, I'm getting ready to have a baby here. Could you take me off for a few months? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Hey, you know, and thank you for your so much for your support. And he said, listen, this is a guy who paid while he didn't come just so the school would be around. And then once it was up and running and we were OK again, he said, just take me off for a couple months and then I'll be back. Unbelievable. And I was like, That's pretty crazy. If, if, if the world had those people... Um... We wouldn't have COVID. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Arashido does have those people. That's right. That's the difference. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by them all the time. So I got the I got the luckiest job in the world. Damn right. Um, 
Any, any more, anything else to go with that? Just out of curiosity. Well, I know we're running. I know we're running long on time. Yeah, a little bit. People are gonna have to like uh, listen to it in chunks. That's all but right. But I wanted to say a little thing about what you're doing here, and then I know we gotta. Well, I want to finish up with one thing. Eh? So I wanted to, to say that what what you're doing here is super interesting, and I think incredibly useful. The podcast idea, hmm. and I mean, I know we're we're just getting into it, but I I because. I mean, I'm coming to this thing late, right? I mean, Pong was still a thing when I was a kid, right? right? right. So, uh, but I now can access information and I'll just tell a little story. Um, I was out when you're driving on the tractor for nine hours a day, you got a lot of free time because you're not going very fast. I <laughs> yeah. 2.3 miles an hour. Ugh. So, uh, you, you got a little time to think. So when I was a kid, there was nothing to do, but think, but now I can listen to podcasts right. and I do. And I did. And, and I mean, I was introduced just flipping through podcasts. I, I just stumbled across this guy. His name's Andrew Huberman. He's a pro, uh, professor of neurobiology at Stanford. Now, if I asked you to name your favorite Stanford professor? Uh, Herbert and Boberman, <laughs> whoever you just said. <laughs> so, I mean, A, if, if you asked me if I even knew where Stanford was, probably not. So, I mean, I don't. there's a whole list of things that never would have happened for me to be exposed to this person's brilliant thoughts right. 10 years more, you know, 10 years ago, right. it never would have happened. Right. And now here's a guy who studied his entire life has amazing thoughts and discoveries and research, and he's putting it out there for the world to consume right. as an expert um, <clears throat> for free. And I'm sure he's going to try to monetize it some way. Sure. It was smart if he did, but yep. But essentially, he's he's taking his incredible expertise and sharing that with the world, and that's that is game changing. I think that will change the world yeah. because now we're going to have experts from all sorts of uh, uh, different places that we can access directly and get this research and information. And Immediately. So he, uh, yeah, so he went on and he was yapping about, uh, I listened to him for about two hours. He was talking about, you know, this and that. He does everything from the sight of animals, studying brain brain waves of when animals see different colors to different ranges of distance and how that... So he's know, deep. Oh, deep. So, <laughs> you know, some of it's just interesting because yeah. you're listening to an expert talk in their field. Yeah. And then, but then he got into stuff that I went, whoa, 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 hold on. Now this is actually, we could actually make use of this. He, he started talking, the interviewer asking something about sports. And he said, well, he said in his view, the two biggest under rated things that people can do for sports performance was sleep and core body temperature and it's like huh? yeah huh? and I'm he listening. said you don't like he and he has a whole series of podcasts on each of them right that i'm going to go and listen to them all right, right. anyways but he's he went on to talk about how uh, and sleep kind of uh, rolls into the core temperature of how to get better sleep you know your your core controls that right when you wake up when you go to sleep how right. how, how well you sleep uh, how much your body, because he was trying to say that sleep is by far the best thing you can do for your body, right? Hmm. All the lifting of weights and eating of the right foods and stuff. Right. If you're sleeping terribly, you're just, you're treating your body so. Right, bad. right. But what he was talking about with core uh, 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 body temperature, I was really fascinated on because he said, think of your muscle. He said, um, you got you to do curls, right? Because it's the obligatory one that everybody thinks sure. of for weightlifting. Yep. But he said, imagine you're doing curls. So they did, so, and this is the thing. These guys are doing real research, not like 
hypotheticals. This is like they did this already with professional athletes, uh, the, the San Francisco 49ers. So they had a bunch of them in to do muscle uh, testing. So um, they gave them uh, 10 sets of max reps. So for curls, you'd whatever, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, whatever it was, do as many as you can and then stop for three minutes and then do it again and you do okay. that 10 times and we oh, chart okay. your level of of muscular endurance, power, and how it drops each time right. through the three, 30 second, or sorry, three minute rest right. as, a, as a baseline, right? So he said, so imagine your muscle. Your muscle is just a, a contraction, right? It, it will contract as long as your brain tells it to and as long as the right... Um, uh, oh, now I'm going to get it all wrong. Uh, hormones, not hormones. What am I trying to say? The, the messages that get you. sent to your <laughs> muscles, um, as long as those ones send the right message, it will contract. So it's just, imagine, you know, an oil well, a pumper. Right. It's just going to keep going forever right. until it breaks one day right. if you don't tell it to stop. Right. Right? So that your body, your, your brain sends your body that message. It's too... You can't go anymore. Shut down the muscles. Right. Now, why does it do that? And his uh, explanation, his research shows that it's heat. So heat builds up in your muscle until a trigger goes off in your brain that says, shut this muscle down or it's going to rip. <laughs> that is crazy. It's going to blow up. Well, so what was, so, okay, up until this point, that's really neat. That's really interesting. I like that. Um, but then he said something that was very interesting. He said, if you can control your core body temperature you can control how much muscle how how much you can use your muscle because your brain will turn it off at a certain heat but if you can control that heat it will go longer and harder and stronger and faster mm -hmm. so he said something that was really so two things that were i thought were really interesting where do you think if you had to guess where do you think the most of the heat loss is out of your body there's three spots uh i thought i knew but groin I armpits and head that's exactly what i said yeah uh, we're partially right. The forehead, okay. the palms, okay. and the bottom of your, palm feet. your feet. Makes sense if it's a palm. Because there's no hair follicles. Oh. He said because there's no hair follicles, your body can dump heat e exceptionally fast. Huh. Which, if you can dump heat exceptionally fast, you can bring your body core temperature down and you can therefore use your muscles more and more and more. So they did these drills on these um, professional athletes and in between, and this is a proprietary thing that I think him and some other else is, is working on, but it was a mitt. It was a, a mitt. It can't be freezing cold because if it is, your body goes into a different state and right, shuts down. I see what you mean. It, it's, it has to be the right coolness. So these guys would do their curls until failure and then they would put these mitts on that cooled their body temperature extremely fast and then they would do their curls again and put do this over and over and over and they did it uh, you know, the 10 times again. Yeah. They said their their strength and endurance went up six times. That's insane. Like, that's hard to imagine. Like, they could yeah, go... A I guy who, believe that. A guy who did 20 reps could now do 120 reps. It was shocking. Anyways, oh, he could do six times more? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah that seems like you're so full now, of it. So now I thought to myself, hey, now this is interesting. And then he said something that I that I, I was already thinking. He said, actually, I've started working with UFC fighters. <laughs> yeah. How can I make this work? Right, because now it becomes directly into our world. So right. you're a kickboxer. Yeah. You're going in there. You're in second or third round, and you're just you're starting to gas, right? Because your muscles are getting lactic acid, and they're burning out. But what if in between rounds, you well, you have gloves on, obviously, so you can't do that. But feet and forehead. But what if you stood on a cooling pad and put a cooling pad on your forehead? He said, you know how in the boxing things where they put ice on the back of your yeah. neck? He said, that's the worst thing you can do. Because your body recognizes, or your brain recognizes that cooling as, oh my goodness, we're starting to freeze. And it kicks your hypothalamus into gear and says, we better bring our core body temperature up. Which is exactly the opposite thing you want to happen. You, you have just changed the way I corner fighters. Well, I think so too. I was super impressed. That is crazy. And I thought for a guy I listened to for one hour that I there's no chance I would have ever heard of in my life ever. This is now directly benefiting my life. And I thought about how what you're doing and how you can directly benefit the lives of people who are interested in martial arts or just interested in people and Blah, 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 blah. This is a direct line to their brain. Right. That they would never have known you or heard of you. You, you might, this guy in Uganda might listen to this and get out something out of this. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Xander. We, he might get something that's very beneficial to him. Dude, you just, I'm sorry, but all that sounds great, but you just trumped it with that cool feet hand thing, man. <laughs> I, I can't get over that. I'm super interested to do some experiments yeah. on, on our own, hey? Like Punch Face Friday happens in an hour. I'm going to bring a cold towel or something. I'm going to try this out. Yes. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I and and the other thing is we only have so many time, so so long to talk to our students in class. And so I try to shove out these stories or things to say. And, and now I can talk to you guys for coming up to two hours, right? Yeah, yeah no question. Um, wow. My God. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought you'd get a kick out of it. And I wanted to tie it back into what you're doing. Because I think you guys are on the same path. And you can influence people's lives very Damn. very positively like this well we'll make sure we have number four that'll keep us going that's that, just that info i mean exactly that's straight to the brain from an hour you've heard of some guy yeah geez um okay we're almost done here i'm amazed by that uh, a couple random shout outs of the podcast um, um just as we're coming to the end here we have a couple subjects but uh number one i want to thank the alberta government never thought i'd say that i want to thank no the alberta kidding. government for uh just getting rid of this crap august 16th I'm only speaking for myself. If you don't like it, I don't care. But thank you very much. I appreciate you um, being somewhat sane. Uh, the Punch Face Friday crew, thanks for uh, being 22 people strong and having people want to fight every weekend. I thought I was going to or spar on camera every weekend. I thought I was going to have a hard time getting people. And uh, I'm starting to have to tell people you got to wait till next week. So keep it up, guys. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, shout out to Raksha. You don't need to know who Raksha is, but you know why you're getting a shout out. Thank you. Shout out to Monitor JP for teaching a thousand hours and, and never complaining. And new baby. And a new baby. Congrats, buddy. Shout out to you. Uh, and shout out to you. Thanks thanks for coming. And, and for those who don't know, it's a little weird because we're sitting here in front of each other, but you're my friend, you're my mentor, you're my teacher, you're my business partner. And and uh, the things I've learned from you just, just being around you is so valuable to me and worth more than I pretty much learned up to that point that... Uh, uh, 
I, I can't call you a friend because that's not a strong enough word. I don't know what to call you. So <laughs> shout out to you, sir. Thank, and even just today, this has been frigging amazing. Just the things I learned today. Cool. So I, I really appreciate you coming in and, and, uh, and doing that. Now we got to get out of here in a couple minutes because I got to race to the gym for Punch Face Friday. But today's an important day. Uh, I said I wouldn't do this, but I'm already starting. Yeah. It's the one year anniversary of uh, Sensei Ram's death. For today, those, for those of you guys who don't know, Sensei Ram was an integral part of Arashido, trained in all three martial arts. He was 61? 61, yeah. 61 years old last year today, and he was training his ass off in the gym. Crew Jason was, uh, Renchi Jason was teaching class, and he was fighting with the kids and having a great time, and, and all of a sudden he had a massive heart attack and died. It's very sad. Yeah, and uh, I just, I just, uh, man, he, he was a model of what, what we want to be, I'm going to be honest with you. He was the world's worst training partner. He got every, he got his lefts and rights wrong. His front kick just, but nobody cared. Everybody wanted to be Ram's partner because Ram was who everybody wanted. He was happy. The the gym was a place where everybody loved to be Ram. He, I always think of him as kind of like the neighborhood cat. It didn't matter what program he was in. Everybody knew who he was. And, uh, he was just so inspirational. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I admit it wasn't until his funeral that, uh, I really got to see a different side of Ram. I thought I knew Ram and, I have more questions. I have so many more questions after that. Sure. And and I'll admit that I like it that way. Yeah. Um, Ram, you, you get to be a mystical being. Uh, you get to be an inspiration. You were my friend. You were my student. And uh, dude, I'll never forget you. And uh, I'm going to celebrate you. today. We, yeah. Oh God, do we miss you, man? It. I I didn't know that I could be such powerful friends with a 61 year old man while being 35 years old. Yeah. Or I guess 38. But uh, uh we love you buddy and uh we miss you and if all of us can be sensei ram all of us are going to be straight ninjas anything else you want to say kyoshi no if i'm still going as strong as he was when i'm 61 i'll be pretty happy god damn right me too all right guys listen this has been one hell of a podcast i hope you got a good driving time because thanks for the opportunity hey and hopefully we'll have you back yoshi because listen i learned a lot today and uh uh, Chris McMillan's going to be jealous he wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Peace. Here it comes. Here it comes. It's time for the Shout Out Podcast. <laughs> J and C-Mac. Yeah. In the house. Dynamic duo. Yeah, man.